Welcome to the SLP Talk Show. Real talk with Carrie about stuff that really matters. Hey, it's Carrie, your fast-talking, speech-therapy-loving host. While you are driving, cleaning, exercising, or whatever it is you do while listening to podcasts, I'm going to be chatting about pediatric speech therapy stuff. But I don't want our time together to feel like work or be boring. You already work enough, and you already have enough boring stuff to do in your life. So let's get going and have some fun. Hi, and welcome to another episode of SLP Talk Show. This is episode number 26. I am Carrie, and I am here with my partner in crime, Jim. That's me. We're back. (laughs) Yeah, we're back. (laughs) We're back. Uh, (laughs) Did you miss us? (laughs) All right, so before we get started uh, with our topic, we're going to play a quick game of chump or champ. Oh, no. So, four questions for Jim. Okay. And we're going to see if he can go four for four on this fine day. Okay. I'm not feeling it today. You're not feeling it? No. I feel feel not smart. Okay, here we go. First question. What are the colors of Italy's flag? Um, Green. No, I think it's green, red, and white. Ding, ding, ding. Nice. You got it. You got it. All right, question two. I know you know this one. In what year was JFK assassinated in Dallas? 1963. Yes. Your brother was born that year, wasn't yep. he? Isn't that how you always remember? Yep. All right, two for two. Here we go. What does Homer Simpson do for a living? Oh, he works at the uh, nuclear power plant. Yeah. Do you know what his actual job title is? I don't know. Technician. He's a safety inspector. <laughs> but I'm giving you credit for the okay. uh, for the nuclear power plant. Yes. Three for three. Here we yeah. go. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is the more common name for a Cuba Libre cocktail? Oh, it's a uh, rum and coke. Ding, yeah. Ding, 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 yeah, you quiz me about booze. I'm gonna know. <laughs> you're on it, right? Yeah, I'm on that. All right, we are, you went four for four, so you are. I know. I'm a champ. You're a champ. I'm a champ. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. All right, so what we're gonna talk about today is a topic that I am pretty vocal about in all of my professional development courses, and I have been known to make posts about this on social media, and it's this whole idea that we don't need to force feed academic concepts to babies, toddlers, Mm -hmm. and and very young children. So I always say, you know, it seems like early childhood has become this race to see how rapidly like our two-year-olds can learn their letters, numbers, shapes, and colors as if those are somehow the most important things in life. Right. But then on the flip side of that, we have autistic children, autistic Mm -hmm. toddlers, preschoolers, who often have a deep interest in letters and numbers. Right. So what I want to talk about today is recognizing that we don't need to force feed those concepts, but if letters and numbers, for example, are extremely um, interesting and are a a deep interest to um, children with social learning differences, then we need to respect that. Okay. Okay. So. That makes sense. um, What I like to talk about is how we as caregivers, as speech language pathologists, as early childhood teachers, as caregivers, we can teach early academic concepts in more natural ways rather than downloading educational apps and, you know, putting kids in front of, you know, educational shows and uh, trying to make them, quote unquote, 
smart. So mm-hmm. I thought, you know, it, it's really important to think about introducing these concepts in more natural and more organic ways during everyday routines. So uh, one of my favorite examples that I give when I uh, do my play course is if you want to introduce shapes to a young child, snack time is a really great time to do that. Right. Okay. So yeah. Ritz crack crackers, you can teach circle. Right. right. And the little club crackers are little rectangles. Mm-hmm. And Triscuit makes a nice little triangular shaped cracker. And Aaron's all time favorite. Do you remember when he was a little kid what his favorite cracker was? Fishy crackers. No, not oh. Aaron. Aaron liked saltine crackers. Oh, yeah. He used That's to, right. What did he call them? Do you remember? Square crackers. Square crackers. Yeah. That was his name for him. Square crackers. Yeah. Girls were fishy. Crackers. Yes, they were fishy, fishy. But Aaron never has eaten a fishy cracker in his life, I don't think. But he loved square crackers. And mm-hmm. so um, he even named him that. And I think that's when I started getting this, like, kind of had this you know, realization that, gosh, we can use anything to teach these concepts. We mm-hmm. don't have to, like, put them in front of some academic app or show or, you know, buy some, I don't know, you know, book on shapes that kind of force feeds it in, in kind of an unnatural way. Uh, my favorite cracker of all time is the graham cracker because he starts out as a large rectangle, snap, mm-hmm. two squares, snap, snap, four rectangles. So you can introduce, you know, fraction concepts and, you know, uh, so it's just a really fun way when you think about teaching in everyday routines, rather than trying to force feed it. Colors is another concept that we don't need to force feed because everything, there's colors all around us. We live in a very uh, bright and brilliant world. So mm-hmm. when you think about what color grapes, do you want to buy green grapes or purple grapes, right? right. Do you want to have a green apple? Or... I think it's always green. You think it's always green? Yeah. Yeah. You like the green apple. I, I like the green apples and the green grapes. And the green grapes. All right. So for you, it's green. But we can teach colors, right? When we're right. at the grocery store, which color spoon do you want? Do you want the blue spoon or the, you know, the the green spoon? Uh, Play-Doh. I mean, we could go on and on right. and on about teaching colors in more natural ways. So uh, when it comes to autistic children who show a pretty intense interest in letters and numbers, I think there's two kind of theories that I kind of think about as to why is it that autistic children are often drawn to letters and numbers. Mm -hmm. My one theory is that they are static, that they're always the same, that an A is always an A. Yeah, Yeah, they're constant. A four is always a four. Mm -hmm. There's nothing unpredictable about letters and numbers. And so autistic children tend to, um, because of their neurology, tend to prefer things, stay the same. They like predictability. Um, They don't like new. I mean, we've described our son for years as he doesn't do new, you Mm -hmm. know, he's always liked the same things. And so that's one of my theories as to why autistic children have a pretty intense interest for letters and numbers. Um, When we talk about uh, a real passion for letters, though, we also have to understand that many autistic children have something called hyperlexia. Okay. And that's where they read before it is what we would consider developmentally expected, you know, where they're reading very early. So children with hyperlexia tend to have a pretty intense fondness for letters, for spelling, um, for words in general. And so um, when you think about that, that is why as a speech language pathologist, I talk a lot about using graphic cues. So if you're trying to help children learn to say, you know, certain speech sounds, or if they have a praxis of speech and the child knows their letters, we want to use written cues. We want to use, that's why I created that one product called 
talking letters, you mm-hmm. know, because right. it, it really feeds into um, that deep interest of many, many children. Mm-hmm. I also like to keep like a little dry erase board handy, just a small one, you know, like uh-huh. a tabletop size one, or maybe one of those little boogie boards. Remember, Aaron, right. those little boogie boards that you yeah. can write on and erase yep. so that if we're trying to elicit the word ball and the child is struggling to, you know, get that out, if you write the letter B, it is always amazing to me how sometimes that's enough mm-hmm. or write the word ball. Um, and I'm talking with two-year-olds who are yeah. hyperlexic, who know their letters, who are right. drawn to that. So we really want to think about using graphic cues. And I think it's also important to recognize that letters are symbols. And so if there's an interest in those symbols, it makes sense that we're going to have success with AAC, you oh, know, moving okay. into augmentative right, and alternative right. communication. Um, and that way we can use AAC to expand language. Even mm-hmm. if the spoken words aren't coming, we should always seek to continue to expand language. And, and AAC is static too? Right. No. A, a, well, I mean, a, I mean, as far a, C, as the symbols go. Oh, the symbols. Yeah, you always use the same symbols for the right. same. That's yeah, a, that's, that's yeah, absolutely. We want AAC to be very robust and grow with the child. But you're right. That symbol, you know, we want there to be some continuity. So sure. we we don't want to change. Like for example, if you have a voice output device, you don't want to change the location of the symbols. You know, you okay. want to keep those the same for motor planning purposes. So, um, anyways, I just thought um, that it would be helpful to really kind of think about, especially as an early intervention provider. I'm always talking to families about not force feeding early academic concepts and instead try to focus on powerful words, you know, powerful language that will help them get their wants, needs met, help them express their feelings, help them self-advocate, be able to say no, mind, stop it. You know, those are really powerful words because if children don't have powerful language, then what happens is they have to resort on the other mode of communication, which is behaviors. So then you get hitting, biting, screeching, screaming, you know, those. Well, when you feel powerless, when you don't have the power words, Mm -hmm. you're powerless. So then you have to react another way. Absolutely. To get your needs met. You are spot on. And for some of our children with, um, who are struggling to um, acquire language, what we understand is that their behaviors is their most um, advanced way and most accessible way to communicate. Mm -hmm. So we have to provide them with other alternatives to hitting, biting, screaming, screeching, you know, to be able to communicate. So while I focus, encourage families to focus on teaching powerful language, as opposed to things that can be wrote memorized, like Mm -hmm. letters, numbers, shapes, and colors. Mm -hmm. I And the reason I wanted to do this episode is for our autistic learners, it's important to understand that if the child's deep interest is related to letters Mm -hmm. and or numbers, we should support their learning and development by actually focusing on these topics. So we want to introduce puzzles that have the alphabet on it and blocks that have the alphabet on it and things like that and books, you know, that are that are focused on Mm -hmm. their deep interest, because that's how we can start kind of expanding their language. And if they use um, scripted phrases, we can actually start uh, mitigating or changing and building on their um, echolalia and or their scripted And aren't phrases. you building relationships oh. really by doing that? You know, you, and isn't yes. that isn't that kind of the concept behind this is relationship based learning? Yep. yep. See, you are spot on. It's about building relationships through a trusting relationship. Yeah. It's about following the child's lead, and it's about focusing on strengths. And don't you think though that when the when you come and and see that child and they know that they have fun with you. They're going to be excited about yep. working. They're going to be 
maybe more open to doing and trying new, new things. things. Absolutely. One of my favorite ways of kind of talking about that is saying when interacting with you becomes a preferred activity for the mm, child, right. joint attention naturally yeah. and organically yeah. unfolds. It's and not you, forced. Right. You never have to coerce it. You okay. are spot on, Jim, because if you have to if, see, sometimes what a lot of therapists will try to do is coerce joint attention by withholding the child's favorite thing yeah. and making them work for it. Oh, first do this thing you don't really like, and then I'll give you this alphabet puzzle, you know, or then I'll give you this ABC book. The problem is when you use that behaviorist approach, this whole idea of I'm going to control you. Um, a lot of autistic children um, have some demand avoidance. And mm -hmm. so they sense the, they, they kind of smell your agenda. They right. sense what you're trying to do, that manipulation that you're trying to, um, and control that you're trying to hold over them and they resist and they're like, see you later, peace out. And they just avoid interacting with you, yep. walk away. So it's a work reward type of yes. relationship, yes. which I don't know if that's really a relationship. It, it's not. And it's not one that's built on trust, certainly. Right. And so what I'm encouraging parents and, you know, uh, providers, therapists, educators to do is take the child's interests. Uh, I, my favorite term that I learned from the amazing Dave Hammer is what gives each child his or her brain tingles, mm -hmm. right? What gives the child their brain tingles? Right. And then what I want you to do is I want you to build off of that sure. instead of saying, I'm going to hold this thing you love hostage. And I'm not going to let you have it because you're obsessing over it. See, we don't talk about obsessions. We talk about deep interests. Mm -hmm. It doesn't that sound different. Yeah. Obsession, fixation sounds negative. When we talk about deep interests, passions, fascinations, it has a, a different feel to it. And we start recognizing that we can use this deep interest as a tool for learning and building relationships instead of withholding it in an effort to try to manipulate or control the child. Right. You're, in a sense, trying to dictate to the child. In, and we all know dictators are bad. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> right. No, 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 no. Right. <laughs> so ways we can use letters and numbers to support development in children who have a deep interest in those concepts. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned, a different puzzles, you know, alphabet puzzles, puzzles with numbers on them. I have this one. Um, it's a train puzzle mm -hmm. and it actually has 26 pieces and each one is a different train car and it has a letter. Oh, on I remember it. that one. You remember that one? Yeah. And I mean, oh my gosh. Aaron, I mean, kids who love the yeah, alphabet are like, so, and it's so good for fine motor and hand-eye coordination. You know, that's why we want kids doing puzzles. So if you're a child that you're working with, or if you're a parent, you have your own child, grandchild loves dinosaurs, then you're all in, right? Mm -hmm. Dinosaurs are where it's at, right? right? We're not going to withhold those things. Other things that you can do to support uh, a love of letters is things like bathtub, those foam letters and numbers. Yep. Aaron yep. always had those. Mm -hmm. um, alphabet blocks, uh, alphabet numeracy books. So I have a couple here that I just, these are my favorites. Um, Chicka Chicka Boom Boom, right. which is a fabulous book that um, introduces rhyming, but it's all about the alphabet and it's uppercase letters and lowercase letters. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's just so fabulous. Chicka Chicka One, Two, Three is for your kids who really are drawn to numbers. Mm -hmm. And what I love is the very last pages of this book actually has the numbers from zero to a hundred. And so for your kids who are drawn to numbers, yeah. oh my gosh, you can spend so yeah, much time. I remember time. Aaron loved that book. Oh my gosh. Both of those books because letters and numbers yeah. have always been, um, it been very drawn to, you know, he's been very drawn to them. You could look at coloring books, you know, that have those letters and, mm -hmm. and numbers, um, any item that contains a written word. So I sometimes find that crayons, um, uh, sometimes um, autistic children may not have a real interest in, let's say, coloring, you know, doing something fine motor. 
but because crayons have a word on it, sometimes mm-hmm. you can get them inter- you know, to be interested in crayons by showing them the name of the right. color, you know, right. and talking yeah. about each letter. Um, maybe talk about fruit snack boxes. You know, if the child really likes fruit snacks, man, we can we can find the letters and how many pouches are in each in, sure. in each box. Yeah. Um, something Aaron used to love to do, and where he came up with this name, I will never know. But his DVD boxes, remember the cases? Oh yeah. And so he would. We bought him this huge. I don't know what you call it, but it's like it holds the individual seat DVDs so we didn't have to have stacks and stacks yeah, of it's, cases. It's a book. It's like a book that holds yeah. like, you know, whatever, all his all his it's things. Got the sleeves. Yeah, thank you, sleeves. So we had then, I mean, tubs of just empty DVD boxes and Aaron called them. Do you remember what he called them? Sticker movies. Sticker movies. Yep. And we never, I don't think to this day we have ever figured out why he calls the boxes of his movie sticker movies, but he used to line those up and we would talk about them and he would Mm -hmm. organize them. And I'm sure they were probably organized, who knows, by the order in which he received them. You know, he's been very methodical. Knowing him, it could have been the year they came out or the um, company that yeah, because he knows what movies DreamWorks, you yeah. know, created. Like he can he, tell he, you. He knows Universal is a Comcast company. He know? knows that now. Absolutely. Yeah, he knows. He, tell, he can tell you what year that happened. It is too. amazing. He can tell you what year every movie was released in what, like he can, you can pick a year and he'll tell you which movies came out that year. And mm-hmm. he'll be like, oh, that came out after Lion King too or you know what I mean like <laughs> right, it's crazy like right. he, and how he remembers this stuff and I mean a lot of those movies came out before he was ever born oh yeah so we're not talking like these are movies that you know came out in his lifetime it's just it's unreal so anyways I hope this was helpful because I just think it's important that we understand that there is never a quote-unquote rule or recommendation that applies to every single child on the planet. And so Mm -hmm. while we as early intervention providers can say, please don't force feed letters, numbers, shapes, and colors, we also have to recognize that autistic children who are drawn to letters, Mm -hmm. numbers, shapes, and colors, we're calling that a deep interest, not an obsession, and we're going to roll with it. And you're going to build relationships. We're going to build relationships. That's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of SLP Talk Show. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a five-star review along with any feedback, possibly other topics that you'd love for us to cover in the future. So as you go back to the real world, be kind, be accepting. Please, please get your mammogram. Early detection could save your life. Certainly saved mine. I'm a 10-year survivor. So until we meet again, guys, cheers. Cheers.